quite a number of months ago, I was uh, asked to consider doing a series of studies on heaven. I've thought through the fact that uh, in 24 years of ministry, I've never preached a series of sermons on heaven. And I thought, hey, this sounds like a pretty, pretty fun challenge. So uh, we're going to attempt that um, starting today and, and carrying us at least through uh, this month and spill over a little bit into next month. And beyond that, I, I'm not sure how it's all going to come out, uh, to tell the truth, because uh, the, the resources are many, the, the verses we can go to are many, and I really don't know how to expect this. And if I could take three verses and go for a whole month, uh, we could be here until we go there. I don't know. Uh, so we will have to see how all of this comes together. But at least for the next handful of weeks, we're going to talk today about the place called heaven. And uh, next week is our Bible conference. Following that, we're going to talk about the people of heaven and then the purpose of heaven and the plans for heaven. Those are the ones I've mapped out so far. And today I want to really talk more than anything about the reality of it. The reality of heaven. How do we know it's true? That's our focus today, especially uh, concerning this place called heaven. So let's ask the Lord's help. Lord, we especially need your help on a topic uh, that we are so limited in knowing. Your word is sufficient, and I pray that it helps us uh, and guides us through our thoughts as we Think about that place that you are preparing for us. And uh, today as we spend time focused around your word, challenge us, Lord, especially uh, with our faith. Challenge us in this department and help us to understand and see and to come away trusting you even more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The question of, of the reality of heaven has been raised by an awful lot of people, and probably sometime in your life, in my life too, uh, we've asked those questions. Uh, is it really there? How can we be sure? You know, those kind of questions are, are not just something we, we might discuss or think, and maybe in a, in a Bible church and stuff, we don't bring it up that we have questions, uh, because we're taught from very early that there is a heaven. But I have noticed, and maybe you've noticed this too, there is a great increase uh, of the stories of those who have died, have gone to heaven, and have come back. Have you noticed it lately? A great number uh, of stories. because, And most of those who have gone and come back has come back with a mission that they've been sent on. And usually that involves writing a book. I've just noticed it. I'm just telling you what you say. I'm not trying to be cynical, all right? I am not because they are referencing a heaven I believe in. All right? So I, I'm not, I'm not uh, questioning whether or not there is a heaven or not. Um, but since some of these have gone public with their stories, some of these are, are like, some people are likely to hear. You've probably even heard some of the messages yourself that they've brought to share with us. Um, there are many as well who have put their hopes 
in heaven based on what they have heard these people share. So I just noticed something over the last few weeks especially. Uh, the Fox News uh, internet uh, site had a video just last week of a lady who had died and was back now to tell her story and to sell her book. And I've watched her story, and I've just kind of put in their, their little search bar there, heaven, and the number of times it's popped up on their website in the last uh, handful of years. I watched all those videos too. See, what, what, is a, what, is, what is the message that we keep getting? I found there's really common things in each of these stories. I'm not going to show all of those to you. But uh, whether it starts with the experience of a four-year-old, three-year-old, who uh, a book, matter of fact, two books now are out about his experience. Uh, a lady who's in her 40s, I think she's around 40. A medical doctor. Uh, several others came up. The, these, notice the, the frequency of these posts that they had. April 2011, one appeared. May 2012. July 2012, October 2012, November 2012, April 2013. They're getting much more free. Apparently, there's a market for this. Or else they probably wouldn't spend the time on it. I rarely ever use visuals, and you already know that, uh, to to make any kind of a point. But I think there's a particular video, one of these interviews I want to show to you. It's very short in duration, and we actually have it queued up and ready to go, and I'm going to just sit here and listen to it with you, okay? Okay, Chris, let's try it. You, you had a great reaction. He's a neurosurgeon whose beliefs used to be centered around science. That is until one day back in 2008 when everything changed. Dr. Ivan Alexander was driven into a coma by meningitis. His brain stopped functioning and doctors believed he would not survive. But seven days later, a miracle happened. Ivan woke up from his coma claiming heaven exists and he has proof. He's now sharing his story in a best-selling book, Proof of Heaven, The Neurosurgeon's Journey to the Afterlife. How do you know there is a heaven, Doctor, and welcome back. Well, thank you. It's very good to be back. And it was shown to me in a uh, very powerful way, that ultra-reality that many have described after near-death experiences. And then there was the proof that was offered up to me in who I saw in that realm. And you were somebody who was uh, uh, not religious before, but certainly a religious now. And you say, first off, the headline would be, there is a God. Absolutely. And, and you, I think most people know this. Deep down, they know this is very true. All right. What we did is, uh, 90 minutes ago, we asked our audience to ask some questions of you, and the, and the email went crazy, and here we go. Uh, you don't mind answering questions? No, I think this is great. All right. Mary Jo from Mertztown, Pennsylvania, asks you, Doctor, how do you know it wasn't a dream? Well, a big advantage was that I had bacterial meningitis, very severe, lasting for a week, and... The whole part of my neocortex, the outer surface, which is what makes us human. All of our conscious experience as a human happens in the neocortex. I should have had no experience whatsoever with my neocortex wiped out with meningitis, and yet had this very rich 
experience. It could not have been a dream because dreams happen in that cortex. And you do describe a situation where a woman that brings you around is this, can I give the spoiler alert? Uh, yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, this is, a, <laughs> she, she, you did not know who she was and you're adopted. Mm -hmm. You found out later that was a sister you had never met that passed on. Yes. Uh, that was evidently like a saint on earth. Yes. And that's where she came through. Right. Uh, Carol from London, England says this, my husband's an avowed atheist, died in 2006. Do you think he's being punished for his disbelief? Were you a believer before your death, near-death experience? I had believed for much of my life, but because of a rejection by my birth family in 2000, I had lost all my belief in a loving personal God and in prayer for eight years before my coma. And her husband is not being punished because God loves each and every one of us very deeply. And um, in fact, it is that intense love for us that drives his wanting, her wanting, for us to have that belief. But do you, but do you think it's important to believe in God while on earth? It's, that, it's, it's important because it gives us that gift and that grace and that God loves us so much that yes, of course, it helps to have that belief because that God doesn't want to feel the pain of our, our forgetting about the divine. Peter from Toms River, New Jersey says this, When in heaven, were you able to look down at those who are alive in this life and witness our various activities? Well, my, uh, my near-death experience was somewhat different in that uh, with the severe meningitis, I was limited temporarily from remembering my earthly existence, even though I knew about uh, earth and uh, you know, the purpose for our being here. But I did not remember the personal life of Edmund Alexander. So I and you weren't know. able to see back. So Wendy in Atlanta says this, What are people wearing in heaven? Are you able to distinguish between angels for people? Are you able to distinguish angels for people that once lived? Yes, in, in my experience, uh, I mean, people were clothed, uh, souls were clothed, and, and angels in uh, kind of these ethereal, beautiful garments, although the, the souls uh, between lives were in what I called peasant garb, but it was very beautiful and colorful. And, of course, the angels were these uh, light bodies soaring up above orbs of light, luminescent creatures. Um, that uh, were, if anything, ba wearing a golden glow, just bathed in that light. And you do talk about three different realms. you got to get the book uh, about heaven, but here's one that we get a lot of, all right? Mm -hmm. This is Maddie, represents a lot of our viewers, when she says this, I miss my dog so much, will she be there for me when I die? Yes, I mean, heaven is for all of God's creatures. And there's nothing especially unique about humans. This, this is a realm for all of, of living uh, souls, consciousness from uh, all of the beings. They're not, pets are not eliminated. And the other, com the other common question I get uh, to ask you, is there a hell? You said no, but the people, uh, but you'll be uh, forced to pay for how you treated other people. Right. And see what you've put During them the through through their eyes. Exactly. But okay. not an not a in infinite eternal hell. Okay. Uh, Dr. Uh, Alexander, congratulations on the success of your book and that's surviving, and you're a guy that does not fear death, and you have a lot of life left in you. Dr. Eben Alexander, thanks so much. Proof of Heaven is the name of it, and we sit down for a half hour on radio uh, right. a little bit later. Yeah, that was great. Thanks a lot. I appreciate your invitation. And I'm glad you were snowed in. We were able to spend some time with us. It's great. All right. Put on your discernment cap for a minute. Are you all right? You ready? After you have uh, just listened to what he said, we'll mark one statement at the early part. Uh, prior to the event, he did not consider himself a believer. Just mark that in your thinking. All right. 
uh, also something he said rather straightforward. There isn't a hell. All right? Simply put, the message that the Bible teaches in a very clear, very authoritative manner that there is a hell, that it was created for the purpose of punishment, has been flatly denied by this individual. You did see that, didn't you? Either the Bible is all true or it is not true. You can't have both. Whether or not this man's experience was a true experience or whether it was a dream or a vision or whatever, he kept saying, my experience, my experience, my experience. Uh, he came back with a message that the, says the Bible is not true in its teaching of the afterlife. He said there was no help. May I ask you something? Who are you going to trust? Steve holds up his Bible. If I brought you the clip of the woman who was interviewed last week, she confessed openly that she was a sinner, and we all are, we know that, so that's not really an issue. She says that she, uh, she was an unbeliever, she had broken all of the Ten Commandments, she claims, uh, but after she died, she stood before God and he removed all her chains of sin and set her free from them. They're up in heaven and has sent her back. And of course, she wrote a book. Now, once again, I compare her message and you don't have the privilege of seeing that. I'll tell you it's really not worth your time uh, or our time this morning. But the message of Scripture and the message that she had, I compared she was not forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, she made no reference whatsoever to Jesus Christ in her testimony of, of forgiveness of sin, uh, which is not uncommon if you listen to all of these uh, videos and listen to others as well. When they don't mention Jesus Christ, they've taken the heart out of the gospel. And she never did, but she claimed that she was, she was released from her sins uh, because of her experience and I don't know what she did with the verse, no man can come to the Father but through me, but she apparently was exempted from that. So I sit back and say, hmm. There's another example, of course, of a book that was written, and they were talking about the value of writing their book, and they believe that their heaven experience has value because it helps those who have need of healing and for those who are in need of hope. That's why they're writing their books. That's why they're sharing their experiences. So I ask again, and related to that, when did the message of the Bible become second place to the message of experience of others? How can we find more hope or more healing in the words of someone who contradicts the words of Scripture? How can we believe these things if we hold to a standard, which I trust we do, a standard that beliefs and experience and visions and revelations or whatever is expressed, uh, whatever is seeking to be believed, if a standard is set that all these can be measured by, that we can take all this information and set it next to a standard to see if it's true or not, uh, if we had such a standard, that would help us a great deal, wouldn't it? I believe we have a standard, don't you? 
It's God's Word. It's God's Word. And that's where I place my faith. That's where I place my hope. It's in God's Word. He tells me, even in His own Word, to test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You may say, but wouldn't that be a little harsh if we identify this fellow as a false prophet? Would that be a little too hard? Do they have a message to tell? Apparently so. They claim to. Does their teaching contradict Scripture? Yes, it did. Do other people listen to that, find hope in that, and follow what they have heard? What's your definition of a false prophet? A false prophet tells things contrary to God's word, gets people to trust them and follow them. Yes, I call them false prophets. My belief is that there is a heaven. And my belief is that we have sufficient material in God's word about it, based on God's word. Not based on what somebody else has experienced in one way or another. I confess, I've never been to heaven. So I'm not telling you my experiences. Alright? I can read through God's Word, and, and I know what it has to say. The facts are there. I believe sufficient to support my faith, because God tells me to, uh, and sufficient to instruct you in yours. I believe that with all my heart. But we start with the fact that we're limited, aren't we? We can even read what we have in front of us, and he doesn't give us every single detail. He doesn't do that. Sometimes that frustrates people. They want to know all the details, right? When you get a bulletin, and it's a very pretty cover, right? You may be surprised to open it up and find it's not at all what you thought. This was my copy today. Guess who printed the bulletins yesterday? Sometimes we're, we're, we, we go with just what we have. And we have to learn to trust in this. And here's what I want to add to, to this thinking. The fact that we're limited, trying to describe a place that we have never seen, that limitation is not a detriment, folks. It's actually our greatest advantage. I'll tell you why. I believe our biggest need... Our, our, our great, the greatest result of a study of heaven is in reference to our faith. Our faith needs strengthened, doesn't it? Our faith needs to grow. Not replaced by the experiences of others. But stronger, firmer in what God has told us. That faith needs to grow. And he has promised that faith will be rewarded. Hasn't he? Let's give a good uh, glimpse of Hebrews 11. Oh, we were there before. Let's go talk to our friends again. Hebrews chapter 11. Just a couple of verses here. I'm going to be in several places today. But Hebrews 11, go over to verse uh, 13. This, of course, our chapter on faith. These are individuals who live by faith. You know how it works. By faith, somebody did something. Right? Verse 13, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, 
by having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is written, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is our God who rewards those who walk by faith. Right? He rewards those who walk by faith. I will do my best over the course of our study to communicate with you what God has said about heaven in his word. I honestly think that he is the authority we should seek, especially since he's the creator of heaven. Who better to tell us what we need to know about that place? So as he has given us opportunities to describe and understand heaven, um, I want to first set parameters for us. Set a few things in, in, in your thinking to help you with this. Go back to Second uh, Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter number 3. And I'll set first of all before you what I believe the scripture shows clearly. We understand uh, some things. We come already to this, this study with understanding of certain things. But we also need to understand certain parts of what we understand. Alright? I don't want to be confusing. But notice exactly what Peter says in this chapter. Second Peter 3, verse number 7. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Jump to verse 10. I know I'm just pulling pieces out, but but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. Verse 13. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. First thing I want you to note, he used the term present in front of heavens, and he used the word new in front of heavens. It would seem to to set before us a contrast of sorts between what is present and temporary and what will be new and permanent. There's a day coming when the present heavens that we speak of will be removed and the new and permanent one will be set in its place. There's references to that in several places of Scripture. I thought this was probably the most pronounced section to show you that. Alright? So what we're going to think is in realm of what is the present heavens and what is the permanent heaven. Alright? That's going to help us in our thinking down the road. A second thing to know is when he used the word heaven, they were plural. Did you notice that? Heavens, 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 heavens. 
he mentions it as plural. Now, Paul talks about a man in 2 Corinthians 12. Let's work our way that way. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Paul talks about a man, and the debate has been for years whether or not this is Paul himself. Quite possibly, there are some theological arguments that are supportable that this uh, could have been Paul. So, I, I will... I, I may reference thinking that it's Paul himself, but the essence of what I want to show you here, first, Second Corinthians 12, he says, verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. That's kind of an intriguing word right there, isn't it? Third heaven? What, what do you mean by, by third heaven? Third heaven. There seems to be, as scripture would present the concept of heavens, that there are certain levels of it. At least the ones we could identify work up to number three. Um, in this section, he talks about the third heaven. There is a first level heaven that we would probably identify as that which is the atmosphere around our earth. We have another term for it. We call it sky. That term is used often in scripture, obviously, a space around the earth where our rain comes from and our snow comes from and the birds fly in this uh, place and such. A host of verses, but I'll just show you one. I'll read it to you. Deuteronomy 11, verse 11, it says, but the land into which you are about to cross to possess it a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain of heaven. The rain of heaven. Typically, we call that sky. The Greek word for heaven and the Hebrew word for heaven, used Old Testament or New Testament, Hebrew, Old, Greek, New, they use the word heaven that we translate for heaven. We also translate for sky. It's the same word in both cases. All right? So the, the writers of Scripture use that same term, whether they're writing in Hebrew or whether they're writing in Greek. They used it, if they were talking about the birds in heaven, they used that term. If they were talking about the angels of heaven, they used that same term. Alright? So it's not going to give us an advantage to say which heaven, uh, except that we have the creatures or the, or the activities going on in the realm of that location. So snow and birds and all those things exist in this one layer or level of heaven. We would identify it as our atmosphere, the sky. All right? Many translators just translate the word sky when it's in this department. There's also another layer we call the celestial heaven. There are sun, moon, stars, planets that exist in the heavens, right? We speak of them. Even in, in Genesis 15, where God takes Abraham and walks him over to the uh, uh, promise that he's about to give him, and he says to him, uh, look toward the heavens and count the stars. He used that same term again, heavens, to speak of a place where the stars were located. So, that, that division we also are given in Scripture. We've got a present... Uh, a layer that we see, the heavens called the sky. We have a layer that we see mostly at night with the stars and those planets, and that's heavens as well. And then we also have clearly identified us for us and the location where God dwells. 
Not that anything could contain him, you know. But there is a place identified where our, our God dwells. Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, said, Our Father who art in heaven. That's the same word. The exact same word as all the other ones too. This is probably that third heaven that Paul is referencing, or whoever. But Paul does mention it. He wrote this book in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12 too. There is a third heaven. In that third heaven, that's where God was. He's talking about it in this uh, description of this passage here. What's also interesting in what he says in Corinthians here, if we go on past verse number 3, I know that such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into what? Paradise. He uses a term for the third heaven. He calls it paradise. Have you ever seen that term before? Remember on the cross? Jesus talking to a thief who came to know him. And what was his promise? Oh, you know it, don't you? This day you will be with me in paradise. Same word. Same word as this word. And this word is associated with the third heaven. Alright? I'm putting pieces together as we think this through. So what we have before us is several verses that come to the same place. We have Jesus, after his resurrection, being uh, um, uh, revealed to Mary, and Mary clung to him, remember? And he says, don't cling to me. And then he gave a reason for it, and he expressed it to her and said, uh, I am to ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Ascend to him. And then, several days later, the angels stand there while Jesus ascends up into heaven and tells the disciples, this Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way you've watched him go into heaven. So I put together a whole bunch of pieces. And what do I find? There is a place called heaven. It's referenced often in Scripture. It is a location where God is. It's a location where Jesus went. It is a location that the Apostle Paul in Corinthians identifies as the third heaven. It goes by the name of paradise in Scripture too. It's a place where Jesus promised the thief on the cross that he would be there. This present heaven is located is the location of the throne of God. In Isaiah 66, Jesus, or God says in verse number 1, Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is a house that you could build for me? Is there any place that I can rest? He goes on with the rest of the chapter. But an interesting start for the phrase, Heaven is my throne. It's a place where God is. And from that place, He blesses people. They're blessed from the heavenly realms. In that place, He punishes people. He talks about the sins and the stench that rises up before Him in heaven. He uses terms like that. Uh, God looks down from heaven, down upon this world. He sees people from heaven. 
We have those references. He hears prayers from heaven, doesn't he? We have all kinds of these terms. He makes his plans in heaven. We have words like that too in scripture. For us as believers, that's an important place. I'll show you why, especially Ephesians chapter 1. You're in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, turn a few pages. Ephesians chapter 1. Heaven is a place that holds our spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. That, that pertains to us personally, and uh, I think it should be. He says in Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in where? The heavenly places in Christ Jesus, right? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Go to chapter 1, verse 20. Where is Jesus Christ? It says, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Where? In the heavenly places. Alright? That's important to us. Chapter 2, verse 6. It speaks of us in verse 5, being made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in where? Heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That place is, is a place we are actually seated. Presently a spiritual reality. It's a reality. Presently a spiritual reality. Eventually a physical reality. As far as God is concerned, you're already a resident of the place. Alright? In Christ Jesus, we're already seated with Him in the heavenly places. Now, I can map out that in a lot of different ways, but I do want to show you this. Chapter 6, verse number 12. Where is the spiritual battle taking place? Chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness. Where? In the heavenly places. Interesting. Interesting. Is there really any wonder that Satan has chosen to attack our understanding of heaven? That's where our spiritual blessings are. That's where our inheritance is laid up for you, Peter would say. That's where our Savior is. That's where our Lord God is, who, cons- uh, who watches over the affairs of our life. What a perfect thing to attack. It's to his advantage that we be confused about these things. Truly it is. It's to his advantage that we have doubt. It's to his advantage that the world would stand up and diminish the, the value of heaven. Strip down the gospel message and how do you get there? It's to his advantage that he confuses this world on this very important place. It robs us of the true nature of that understanding. He's active at that role right now. He's active at it. And he's intensifying, from what I can gather, he's intensifying his efforts to confuse us on this point. Verse 12 tells us why. That's the battleground. That's the battleground that we as believers 
are a part of. You see, folks, it's real, it, it comes down to this. If we deny the existence of heaven, I don't think we would, but let's just play this game, alright? If we were to deny the existence of heaven, if we listen to these people and get to the conclusion, ah, oh, they don't know what they're talking about, so none of it's real. Some people go that extreme, don't they? They just kind of chuck it all because there's some bad apple in the, in the bunch. But if we deny the existence of heaven, we have contradicted God's message. If there is no heaven, then what he has told us is not true. If there is no heaven, then he doesn't have a throne. He is not overseeing the affairs of men. If there is no heaven, then the thief of the cross went nowhere. If there is no heaven, then Jesus went nowhere. If there is no heaven, that wherever this man went in Corinthians, he went nowhere. If there is no heaven, that according to Philippians 3 verse 20, we believers are citizens of nowhere. Our inheritance is nowhere. Our seat is nowhere. Our battle is nowhere. So don't worry about it. Right? Our hope is nowhere. Our future leads to where? Nowhere. Are you willing to deny the existence of that place? By denying the existence of heaven, we state that the Bible is not true. So our faith is pointless. What we state about the gospel message is not true. What do we need to save from? If there's no heaven, then there's no hell. Let's believe the guy. What do we need saved from? You cannot, I, I, I'm trying to express, you cannot separate these things without destroying all of them. It's impossible to tear one part out and say that's not true. That's why I'm greatly concerned about the messages we keep getting from the media. Oh, they promise a heaven, don't they? They promise a heaven built on political correctness. They promise a heaven built on the idea that God is so loving here, admit anyone, even your dog Fido and your cat Fluffy. Personal side. I don't want my dog forever. Alright? Just the years I've had with him has been enough. Jesus did say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. When they tell you that God cannot or will not because of his great love exclude somebody, they have just said that Jesus lied. Okay? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father is he who will enter heaven. So how is it that Jesus can limit heaven to only certain people? You know as well as I do, that's not a popular message in our society, is it? But listen to what he says. Let's go there. Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 is a good place to start. Here he is having an interview with a, a young 
rich young man. And we're going to catch up on the, the second part of his interview with him. Um, well, actually where the man comes up and starts to talk to him. So Matthew 19, verse 16. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me what is good? There's only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the test of his horizontal relationship. Is he doing this right in uh, the in his social uh, um, relationships? The young man says, Of course. All these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. Here's an incredible test for him. It wasn't a matter of, uh, is he willing to sell his things? His question was, are you willing to follow the Lord? Are you willing to trust him with everything? Do you understand his, his, the need that you must just follow me? You know what that's questioning me? His relationship with God. The first four of the commandments not mentioned here are about his relationship with God. I shall have no other God before me. I shall, you know, all these graven images, all these other things are mentioned in the first four commands. Jesus is testing him in that department. Do you trust God? When the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. What was he trusting? His goods. Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Don't think that passed right past the disciples without them picturing it. The disciples heard this. They were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? They're looking at him. Jesus says to them, with people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He gives them a glimpse of the nature of heaven. Does it sound very much like it's limited as to who might and who might not be there? Yeah, his descriptions were always like this. Matter of fact, in John chapter 14, he said it in such a pronounced way, I don't think we can miss it. John 14, we know the first six verses very well. But let's look at them again. John 14, 1 through 6. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. You see what he's calling you to do? In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. All right. Where, where in that is the exception clause? 
where is that, where, where does he say, I'm a way, and there might be options for you? Does he give any wiggle room for such thinking? <laughs> I don't think so. He says, it's through me. If you're going to the Father, it's through me. You can't miss what he has to say about it. So I, I bring all this together this morning and say that we are talking about a place, a real place, a place that does exist, a place called heaven, and the scripture testifies of it, and the scripture is real. This place is real. It's not some imaginary location. It says also that that place has limited access. It is limited to those who believe in Jesus Christ. We can all see that now, can't we? We shouldn't have any questions that come along with that. It says so in God's Word. Years ago, I heard D.L. Moody's, uh, one of the quotes that he gave was, Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Thought about that a lot over the years. Knowing the way Moody spoke and what he had to say, by prepared, he was talking about those who had received Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they are anchoring their faith in what he has promised. They are a prepared people. I would rather trust Jesus with my eternity than all the media and all the books written about those who have been there and back. Be discerning in what you hear. When you get the clips, and you will from time to time, when you hear people talk, when you find the books, set it next to God's Word. Set it next to God's Word. Be very discerning in what you hear. Be discerning in what you believe. Know that God's Word is true. Use that as your standard. And since He said Jesus is the only way to Him, believe that. Believe that. Trust in Jesus only. He's promised those who believe are already seated in the heavenlies. We will eventually be absent from the body and where? Present with the Lord. Did He promise that? Yes. Where is He? He is in heaven. There's so much more we're going to discuss as we go through these weeks together. But the first thing and the most important thing involves your relationship with Him. You understand? That's what it always will have to come down to. If heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people, we need to be sure that we're the prepared people. So I ask you again, is that where you've placed your faith? I'm not saying place your faith in heaven. I'm saying place your faith in Jesus Christ who is the access to heaven. Is that where you are today? Are you trusting in Him? I don't believe at all that you're going to be able to get through this world without trusting Jesus. Walk up into heaven and negotiate. That's not going to happen. There's no chance that you're going to walk up there and He says, okay, now I'll deal with your sin issue. This is the world that He's left us in to deal things like that. Because this is where Christ died. This is where our sins are forgiven. This is where we trust Him. And when we're through with this life, the Lord takes us to be with Him. Are you ready? 
if today was that day that he says, your day is ready, it's time to come home. Are you ready? That's the faith we're talking about. That's everyone in Scripture who had faith in Jesus Christ has this heaven promised to them. Every single one. That could be you too, right? Faith in Jesus Christ. So, as we close our our service here this morning, I'm going to have a word of prayer. If your relationship with Jesus Christ is not one of faith, oh, you know Him here, but you've never received Him here, would you please talk to Him today? The whole gospel story is how much He loves you, right? Not loves you enough to just let you get by, but loves you enough to tell you the truth. Loves you enough to say, now is the day of salvation. Loves you enough to say, receive me now. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. He loves you that much that He gives you a chance this morning to hear the message again. If you've never received Jesus Christ, do so now, would you? Even while we're praying, He can hear you right where you are. If you do, tell me. All right. I just love that. That really makes my day uh, to hear that somebody comes to know Christ uh, because of the power of the gospel. But in the meantime, while we're in prayer as well, let's be thankful, people. We do have a place to anchor our hope, don't we? God's Word tells us of this place. Someday we'll enjoy it. Heavenly Father, Your Word is before us. Thank You so much for it. Thank You for giving us a solid place to anchor our faith. Thank you for giving us information that we vitally need. Thank you for revealing again how much you love us. And Lord, if there might be even one this morning, one who has come to know their need of Jesus Christ, and even at this time in prayer is calling upon you for salvation, I pray, Lord, that you would do exactly what you promised to do and save their soul. We're encouraged just by the fact that you've saved ours too. As uh, your children today, we are blessed. Blessed beyond what we deserve, of course, but even blessed beyond our ability to comprehend it all. We praise you, Lord, for it. Thank you so much for your word, for what it does to help us, to guide us, to bring about that healing and that hope that we truly need, because our Savior is that kind of a Savior. We praise you for that today, Lord. Help us in our study to grasp what we need to grasp, to hold to it tight, and to walk in confidence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.